0: This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to MindFlex. Tonight is night two of five ideas to transform your relationships. That means tonight we have five fresh new ideas. If you were with us last night, we spoke about five ideas to transform your marriage. Tonight, we are going to speak about five ideas to transform your parenting or the relationship that you have with your children.
1: These are some ideas that we would love to share with you on parenting. We are still learning and we're still picking up tools, but these are ones that we have found have really transformed the way that we parent all of our six children, and we welcome you to come with us on this journey. As
0: well as uh, ideas that we were able to share with, with many others. And in our capacity, in our role, in our organization, we have the opportunity to give classes and teach people, and it's always learning about our own children, learning about the relationships that other parents have with their children, and constantly trying to use what we see in Torah as well as what we see in modern psychology to try to help develop our children, our community's children, to become amazing, to become incredible, to become the best versions of themselves. And of all of the books that are out there, all the parenting books, and the books in Hebrew, and the Sfarim, and the psychology books of everything, I would like to suggest, perhaps, drumroll please, that the greatest, parenting book out there is one that we're going to be reading together in just a little bit over a couple of weeks and that is the Haggadah Shel Pesach. The Passover Haggadah is a gold mine, a gold mine of parenting tips because if there is one area within Judaism where we so to speak codify the obligation to transmit a tradition to our children, it's the night of Passover. It is literally the night when our parenting goes from just something that we do. Parenting is always a mitzvah. It's always a mitzvah. But there are very few actual rituals from the Torah that tell us how to parent. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to Seder night, the Torah Uh, tells us in many different ways, in many different languages, in many different styles, this is the night to create that bond. So what if we can look at the Haggadah Shal Pesach, the Passover Haggadah, the Seder night, and if we can glean from there some of the golden nuggets about how to parent, then we literally have one of the greatest wellsprings of thought um, uh, that one could possibly look for. So tonight what we're going to do is try to pull out a little bit based on the Haggadah Shal Pesach, some ideas that will help us become better in our parenting, and again, we have these five ideas. So let us begin with idea number one, and that is a concept of creating family pride or a family narrative. Um, there was a an article. I don't know exactly when the article was from. I saw it a couple of years ago in a, in a book. It was an article written in the New York Times saying that this was a study based on children. Again, this was not within the Jewish world. This was a New York yeah. Times study. And it said that children who have what they call a family narrative which means that they could answer questions. about They understand their family's history. They could answer questions about their grandparents, about their parents. When they have this family narrative, they are more likely to be happy, to have self-esteem, to feel that they're in control of their lives. And what Seder night does, this whole idea of Seder night is that we have this one night a year where we tell our family story. But a story isn't just about the history of our family. A full family narrative is where we come from, where we are today, and where we're going. A family mission statement, our family values. And when we create this concept, this idea for our children, that our family, we're not just a bunch of people living together in the house. You know, like we happen to share a house and, you know, we pay the bills and you eat all of our food. You know, it's, but then we're just a bunch of people living in the same house. What makes us a family? It's when we give our children a narrative, a full picture of this is what it means to be a Buxbaum in our cases or a Friedman in your case. Or you, I'm sure we have like a Friedman watching. Yeah. Probably a few. Yeah. right? Yeah. So if you happen to write, what does it mean to be a Bucks fan? What does it mean to be a freedman? You give them the sense of, this is my family. This is important. Then we're going to give them a sense of belonging, an identity of this is who I am. And I want to live up to that.
1: It's amazing because the Seder teaches us this idea through the story and it's so powerful. And when we, when we are teaching people who don't even necessarily like know the story and I'm asking them like some, you know, facts that you would just maybe assume that somebody would know and they don't, they don't know it. And you're telling it to them like in a way, like this is your story, like own it. And you almost see these like light bulbs going on in their head. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm a piece of this history. This is incredible. Um, on a very tangible level, in addition to just our roots and our you know, Jewish place where we came from, We also just want to talk about, um, you know, our history, our traditions, the things that we do, the things our grandparents did, the things our great-grandparents did, and let our children know that they're a part of that picture. It's very, very special. I, I, now with the kids home on Zoom, you know, so I overhear different things that are going on. Um, And so a few weeks ago, I just overheard my son, and it was repeating and repeating. Like, it wasn't just the first day. It was like a few weeks later I was hearing the same thing and he's just keeps on telling his teacher like, Oh, that rabbi that you're talking about, like he we're related to him and he just keeps telling the, the relationship, you know, that we have to this rabbi and, and the rabbi on the the rabbi on the phone is going, Yes, Moshe, I, I think you've mentioned that, you know, and it's like time out time I'm just hearing it again, but that's the truth that's his pride you know that's who he comes from and we talk about it a lot and that's something that he kind of owns and it is a piece of who he is he just did a book report on this rabbi you know this is something that he feels very special about and traditions do the same thing when we have traditions that we bring in from our family from our parents from our grandparents and now it's not just something that we do but this is something that's been done for many 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 years and now you are a piece of that history
0: we have an interesting dynamic in our home. Both of us are actually from German backgrounds. At least both of our from our from our father's sides are from German backgrounds. In Dora's home, she grew up with more German customs than in my home, which just has to do with, you know, where my grandfather found himself in his journey. And because of that, in my home, some of the customs are not as German. They're more, if you will, typical standard. Whereas when we go to my wife's family, so they have, you know, German customs, which, are, are they're noticeable they're noticeable and therefore my kids are always like down my throat like how can we don't do that how can we don't do that because they, they so badly want that now in some communities they naturally have customs that are very specific to them and it does or it should at least if you give it over the right way it does create a lot of pride. um but they don't necessarily need to be traditions from the past they could be just traditions that you as a family, things that you institute. This is something that you, that's unique. This is something that again, the Goldsteins. Are there any Goldsteins out there? Yeah. There's definitely. some Goldsteins, right? This is something that is unique. Oh yeah, the Goldstein family. This is our this is our Friday night thing. I remember once I share the story. I was taking I was on a, a guy's trip to Israel, and there was a guy who got up and he was so proud. You know, it's how we have sometimes these moments on these big guys' trips when, like, you know, some of the guys get vulnerable uh, and, 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 you know, kind of spreads, you know, in the women's trips, it happens more of the guys' right. trips. It's a little, right. And this guy got up and he said, he said I want to share with you. It was a big room, probably, you know, 200 guys. He says, I want to share with you the way that I bless my kids. And he sang to the entire room, 200 guys. The tune that he uses when he blesses his wow. kids Friday night. You know, I think it was to the tune of Oh, My Darling. Mm-hmm. But, but that was his thing. And, you know, he sang it very nice. And I would say half of the room tears in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Because that was something that was unique and beautiful. And this and he says that his kids and, and I want to add on to this. that I'm just remembering after that the guys that he was with, his friends said that they were aware and they had also started doing it in their homes Mm -hmm. and their kids just fell in love with Friday night because that was their specific tradition. Mm -hmm. So what are the things, always ask yourself, ourselves as parents, what are the things that we're doing in our home that are going to make our kids think, this is part of my family narrative. This is this is my my point of, of family pride.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, you know, you think about how much around Judaism revolves around the food. And then you think about this point that we're making and it really makes you think, maybe part of that because food is such a Tangible, you smell the smells, you taste the taste, like it just transforms you into that space and place. And so, maybe that's a big component of what it's trying to accomplish. My baby's
0: chicken soup, right?
1: exactly. Or, like, now we're starting to get you know ready for Passover. I'm pulling out all my menus and I'm asking my children, like, all right, guys, what foods are you gonna want? And, like, immediately they're all just like, you know, that food and that food, and like, it's they're like, oh, that's Pesach, you know, that's what Pesach is, and and that's really something that that becomes Pesach in our home or certain things you say on friday night consistently and these are the things that not only do they take with them like this is my family um, on a on a day-to-day or on a week-to-week basis but these are the things that they're going to take with them and please god pass on to their families and it becomes part of their tradition
0: yeah so idea number one is create that family story create that family narrative create that family pride through telling the story Like we do at the Pesach Seder, through creating your own family traditions, by creating your own family memories, and really your own family mission statement and values. This is what it means to be a Yankelovitz.
1: There we go. Okay,
0: idea number two for the five ideas to transform your parenting, and that is one that is just so clear. Perhaps it's the one of the centerpieces of the Passover Pesach Seder. And that is the four sons. And this idea that we have four sons, children, each one asking a very different question, noteworthy also at a very different time. Right. If you look at when the Torah introduces the four sons, it's spread in many different places in the Torah. And each place it's in a different context. They're not even all asking at the Passover Seder. There's different things triggering their questions. The questions that they're asking are different. And the answers that we give them are different as well. And part of being an intuitive parent is understanding that what our children are saying And what they're saying aren't really the same thing. And understanding how to decode their language and start communicating to them in a way that is unique and that is very, very specific to them. I would say I have the privilege of observing my wife, who has really a unique, which I don't, because to me, when a kid is crying because they say that their brother punched them, to me, that means that they're crying because their brother punched them. And I've learned from my wife that sometimes it could be about something completely different, you know, totally, totally. And it's about decoding that.
1: Yeah, you see this from the time that babies are born, actually. This is something that God really puts into the universe from the time that they're babies. In that, you know, I remember reading when I was going to kind of have my first kid, like, there's different types of cries, and you will know the cry of your baby. And I'm like, how is that even possible? Like, how will I know the cry of my baby? I don't even, you can't tell, like, a cry is a cry. Then you become a mother, and you realize cry is not a cry. Like sometimes you think like the baby's crying, like, you know, it must be, it must be hungry, but really maybe the baby is in pain or maybe the baby's very tired. So from the time that the baby is young, we see this. And of course, as the child grows older, this only becomes larger and a bigger idea. And the idea is like, stop. When your child is speaking words, whether it's, you know, you, when it, when, whatever they're trying to communicate, you have to see what is the underlying message that they're really trying to say that lies behind it. Is it really, I'm hurting? I'm not feeling confident. I'm feeling like nobody really is paying attention to me. Can you give me a little bit more attention? Maybe is that what they're saying? Are they saying something simple like, I'm hungry? Are they saying, like, I had a really rough day because my friends were really not nice to me? Like, what are they trying to tell you? Because a lot of times you can take a scenario and you can blow the opportunity if you're not looking at what they're really trying to tell you. But if you look at it with the through the lens of, wait a second, like, you know, I am, I'm on a mission to figure out what this child is really trying to tell me. You can not only crack the code, but you can create a tremendous, tremendous bond and connection between you and your child by being able to express, like, no, know, this is really what you're saying.
0: I, I remember once reading, I don't remember where, uh, an anecdote of a child, a, a parent brings their child, a young child, to kindergarten, to uh, first day of kindergarten. And the child looks up at this bunch of pictures that the kids drew and they're hanging on the wall. And the kid blurts out, who made all these ugly pictures? And the parent is like, "It's white, it's red, blue, pink, all, you know, all different colors, <laughs> like like, oh, you say that, like you're calling the pictures of other kids ugly, like don't talk like that, you know, stop, shh, you know, don't say that. And the teacher overhears and the teacher comes over and the teacher says, in our kindergarten, It's okay to make ugly pictures. And then the child goes in, and then the child looks at a broken toy, and the child says, who broke this toy? And the parent's like, what does it matter who broke the toy? Like, it's none of your business. Like, what are you... The teacher comes over, and the teacher says, in our kindergarten, it's okay to break toys. And the, the child looks up at the parent and the child says, I want to stay in this kindergarten,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Because what the child was trying to do was really just get a sense. Or when they saying these pictures are ugly, what the child was really saying was, can I make ugly pictures? Mm-hmm. Right? Can I, is it, am I going to get yelled at if I break toys? And it was the idea of giving them the safety and that security. Mm-hmm. So it's reading into wow, what great. they were saying. And I think that it's important. Also, number one, we want to differentiate that not all of our children are going to uh, articulate things the same way, and even children themselves will change their style. And we have to learn. I was (laughs) thinking the other day. You know, I'm sure that you you're all familiar. There, there's this comic strip. I don't know if it still exists. Remember Garfield?
1: I remember Garfield.
0: So Garfield is very deep. Garfield, (laughs) very very
1: deep. (laughs) There's a lot
0: of depth. But on the surface, right, you have uh, what's his name? John?
1: I don't know Garfield. Okay, his
0: name was John I think. And he has these two pets. Garfield, who's like a cat like lazy attitude y That's that as much as I
1: know.
0: But then there's Odie. Odie's okay. like full of puppy and Odie's like <sighs> Yeah. Like, always excited. Always like, you know, John comes in, always happy-go-lucky. And he has these two pets that are always at each other's throats because Garfield is always, like, cranky and lazy, you know, and he's always you know, always happy. And, like, when you walk into any home that has multiple children, you have the Garfields and you have the Odies. Yeah. And you have to treat the Odies the way Odies need to be treated. And Garfields, and sometimes a kid, you know, so especially as, as, I mean, our two oldest are teens already – as well, our oldest Not is a teen, and our second is she was just past oh, mitzvah. Yeah. And sometimes kids morph from being cute little odies to, you know, stubborn little Garfields. And you mm-hmm. have to grow together with them and adapt to their communication styles. So that is the second uh, idea. So number one, the first idea is create that family pride. Idea number two is... Every child speaks a different language, and we have to learn the language of each child. Okay, idea number three. Why don't you introduce this one for All us? Because right. you are the master of this one.
1: Am I the master of this one? Okay, You're thank you. Than me. I'm working on it. Um, so we call this one the rule of the hashtag, and I think what we're really trying to give over here is explain what
0: a hashtag is. Oh, for those of you
1: who don't well, I don't even know how to explain a hashtag. I guess.
0: How much it a hashtag on social media is a way to sort of capture an idea. If someone is posting a picture or something, when you hashtag it, you link it together with other ideas. A hashtag is just a very short way of Think associating right, right? what's happening in this post, what's happening in this picture, with sort of a global trend of things that are happening related to this. Wow. I
1: never thought of describing what a hashtag was.
0: Yeah. Okay, if you would so, ask me to do it again, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. I, you did a good job. Yeah, okay.
1: Did. <laughs> so this is the rule of the hashtag and it's that really there are so there are there are so many ideas that we wanna be able to give over to our children. Um, but if we are going to like sit them down every time we want to give them this idea and start giving them like an entire speech about why this is important or a whole story, I mean, forget about it. Like we lost them. So the power of the hashtag is thinking of the values that we really want to be big values that our children will just remember very quickly and come up almost like a slogan, like a quick slogan that we can just have off roll off the tip of our tongues that number one, Reminds our children of that idea, and number two is that it sticks with them, so that they can then internalize those ideas and remember, remember them. So I'm just thinking, you know, here's a small idea, and then we'll bring it, um, we'll bring it out. So I didn't even, you know, one idea. Um, I remember that my my daughter years ago, she came home with a test. And I'm looking at the test, you know, we have to sign as parents, like we saw the grade, So I'm looking at the test and I see in very small letters at the top of the test, some Hebrew words written. And I see the words, which means like, in the name of God, we will do and we will succeed. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that this stuck. Right. This was an idea that I was constantly, you know, some people would just call it Baruch Hashem, um, uh, but I was, you know, making it a little bit of a of a slogan, and so I had put it out there that like, with God's help, we will succeed. And I saw it written on the test, and I was like, Oh my gosh, success! You know, and I to this day, this is probably six years later, um, this child still writes this on every single one of her tests. Um, there's other ideas smaller than that, you know, things like. We can do hard things, you know, like how many times our children will say, but that's so hard. My response is not going into a whole discussion about mindset and brain and stories and here and there and fixed and growth and all that. No, my, my word back to them is we can do hard things. That's it. They know. And you know that it becomes a success when you start seeing that shift in them, when you just remind them, like, we can do hard things. And and then when they're in a good frame of mind and they're able to listen a little bit, you can add a little bit of context. You can add a little bit of content. You can explain it a little bit more so that you're growing that idea. But to have that slogan to go back to is fantastic. Another one that we use in our house a lot is the power of the pivot. This has Specifically, become a really big one this year. Um, but we've all had to pivot quite a bit this year, and in showing our children that we were going to have to pivot and that constantly, you know, we're going to have to learn new ways to learn, new ways to engage, new ways that we're going to be shopping, new ways that our sports are going to run, everything. Um, the pivot became a very powerful wor- wor- word in our house, and to the point that I even had some graphics made. You know, you could put them on your fridge, even as constant reminders. But Any time I want to have a kid shift in any way, whether it be like today you have to be on Zoom because there was some kind of an outbreak or it's, you know, I see that you woke up in a bad mood, like power of the pivot. You have the power. And the other day, one of my kids came home and he wanted to tell me right away that I was going to be getting a call from the teacher. (laughs) He said, though, I was being silly. But the power of the pivot worked, and I did transition. And I was again like, "Oh my gosh! Like this really helps."
0: <laughs> so I don't know how many hashtags there were when the authors of the Haggadah wrote the Hagada. But one thing that I know is the Haggadah is a long book. But when you come to the Four Sons every single year, I think if you read it every single year, like to me, I know I'm going to hear about the Wise Son, right? The Chacham, the Wise Son, right? And I know we answer the Son, "Em Mafteir Pesach a yeah. I, right, that's the, the, the response to, that's what the Haggadah says, the response to the Chacham. Every single year I try to research this more. It's, to me, one of the most complicated paragraphs in the Passover Haggadah. But well, one thing I know is I remember those four words
1: from I, the time you're young. Exactly, yeah. I
0: remember the Russia. It's so I'm not translating. It's not the not the point, right? Or Tom at I remember these things because they're short nuggets that tell me, that prompt me how to properly respond in this moment. The reality is, we live in a world where massive trends we're talking about uprisings upheavals riots things like that movements are catching fire because of a hashtag because of someone hashtagging this or that or the very fact that again we ourselves and probably i would say most of the audience watching this has probably if you're somewhat in tune with social media, WhatsApp, or anything electronic outside of, you know, your living room, you've probably come across the hashtag, thank you, Hashem. Shout out. (laughs) Now, I'm pretty sure that we've been trying to teach our children to thank Hashem for the last 4,000 years, right? Maybe more than that. Um, But suddenly, every kid thinks it's cool to say thank you, Hashem. That's the power of a little symbol on social media that goes like this. It's called a
1: hashtag. It's not only kids. It's even adults. Like, like I see adults, people who will have a hard time talking about their relationship with God. And then suddenly on Instagram, they're using some of their thank you, Hashem. What are those called? The... The things.
0: Paraphernalia, the emojis, icons.
1: Yeah, those icons. Yeah. Thank you, Hashem, for giving those icons.
0: So we have the power to instill values at at your Shabbat table. When you go into a long-winded monologue about the right? It's going in one ear. It's going out the other. If you can say it in four words and repeat it again and again. I had the privilege taking my kids to Universal Studios on their winter break. It was fascinating to see how going to a place, again, I'm not into theme parks, and I'm not into most of the themes that that, that are there. But to see that going to a theme park can be a growth opportunity for a kid because it's, I got to do this because I need to step out of my comfort zone. Step out of my comfort zone. That is a big theme in our house. Words and these kids repeated it again and again. And I'm sitting there on a roller coaster, literally thinking, like Hashem, this is this is it, like Shema Yisrael, I'm going, I'm I'm, I'm already, you know. And my little my, my little one is next to me. And he's in nine years old, right? And he's saying, Abba, I'm so scared and I'm gonna lift up my hands right now. Why why are you gonna lift up your hands? just hold on if you're scared. No, because I have to step out of my comfort zone. And he's right. And, and, and they said, like, he's so small, he's going to fall out of the thing. Right. But that's it. He had in his head. That was what was on his mind. Step out of my comfort zone. Right. Power of the pivot. Um there is another one. This is one that goes back to Talmud times, but the idea of Gamzumatova right it's all for the good three words right or you want to add in one of the jewish musicians added in new new gonzola zulatoba." these are all just small things the way we give over lessons is they need to be able to say it it needs to be a thing it needs to if you can get a cool graphic and post it on your refrigerator but those four five six words will be just as powerful as the low save your breath Save your frustration with not being able to get them to listen, get, not be able to get their attention, and say it in six words or less yeah. and emphasize those six words again and again, and you will create massive, trending movements happening throughout your home.
1: Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to Shimei Adar for the Be The Reason That Someone Smiles. Yeah. Because that's also one. And all you got to say, I mean, my kids leave the car in the morning for, car. I drop them off after carpool and I just say, Be The Reason Someone Smiles. It's so deep. It's so much. There's so much there. But that's all you got to say. Be The Reason Someone Smiles. Thank you, Shimmy. Okay. okay. Shall we move right along?
0: Absolutely. So again, idea number one is we're creating that family pride. Idea number two, learn the specific language of your child. Idea number three, the rule of the hashtag, say it in six words or less. And now, idea number four, which is such a beautiful and profound idea. And I want to introduce this idea with a little bit, a small piece of Torah. And that is some what we call gematria, numerology. The way we understand things in the Torah is by analyzing not only words, but the numerical value of those words since each letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numerical value. And if you take the numerical value of the second son, what's called the Rasha, the rebellious son, the son who captures our attention and our intrigue at the Seder table, right? How many hours and hours and hours have spent uh, uh, different families' Seder tables discussing what's his problem and why? What is he so bitter about? What is he so angry about? And and, and the response is it a warm response? Are we are we kicking him out? Like what? What's what is the dialogue? The numerical value of the word Rasha Reshin Ayin is five seventy. The opposite of a Rasha, which means a rebellious or a broken uh, child or a broken person, the opposite of that usually we say is a Tzadik, a righteous person righteous with the word sadik has the numerical value of 204 okay well we'll keep that in mind for a moment what our response to the evil son the rebellious son is it says blunt his teeth hakei es shinav blunt his teeth shinav which means teeth has the numerical value of 366. that means and again, I wish we had the screen. We could pull it yeah. up over here. But the Russia, numerical value 570, once you blunt his teeth, numerical value 366, what's left is the Tzavik. Numerical value 204. Simple math, but revealing a very deep idea. You think I lost him on that? Mm-hmm. I think I think I are following it Right? But what that means is... That within the Russian, within the rebellious son, there is a hidden tzaddik inside. There is a hidden righteous, the righteous person. And our job as a parent, no matter how difficult, rebellious, or broken, a child seems to be projecting him or herself into our life. Our job as a parent is to hone in on that inner tzaddik, on that inner righteous person that righteousness that's inside focus on it and as many of the jewish commentaries teach us the more that you can focus on the inner righteousness what's good about them the more that that thing will manifest itself it will grow your focus on it will bring it out make it surface and make it the main part of that child
1: this is an incredibly powerful point and sometimes incredibly difficult as well because we tend to get caught up. If if you have to hone in and find that like tiny little thing, you know that 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 inner righteousness of a child when they're going through whatever hardships they are, and there are so many negative things to focus on, and you just have to focus on that that positive thing. That in and of itself is tremendously challenging. It's much easier to just focus on the negative. But if you can, and 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 it's it's an incredible thing to do to just focus on that one or two or three, whatever, however many positive traits that you can focus on and just work on that, focus that and build that, build that, build that, build that, that, then that child really will really grow into what you are believing in them. I think it's that very famous story of Thomas Edison, right? Like when he, um, he, he came home from school one day with a note from his from his teacher he was supposed to give it to his mother and his mother opens up the note out loud and reads reads this note and says like you know dear mom of you know mr tom of tom um you know your we have no place for your child we have no place for your child in this school anymore he is way too smart and he has exceeded all of the knowledge of the children here please find him another school Mm
0: -hmm. and so she
1: turns to him and says It looks like we're going to have to find another school. You're just way too smart for all of the children. And then years, years later, he found this note after his mother had already died. And he opens up this note, and he sees the note, and he reads like, you know, dear Mrs. Edison, your child is terribly misbehaved. He's socially off. He's a complete misfit to our school, and we can no longer take him and teach him. Please, you know, we are expelling him, and please find him another school. And he started to cry, and he just said, like, look at what I turned out to be, and this was the power of my mother believing in me and making me think that it was the good in me that kicked me out of the school.
0: Yeah. You know, we, we had this happen within the last half a year or so, where for a couple of weeks in a row, I found that one of our, one of our children was acting up a lot and, and be, being very disruptive in the home, you know, misbehaving someone in the home. And I was getting frustrated, and you know some of the other children were also getting get, getting very frustrated. And then, in a moment of just trying to defend this one child, you know, because it was becoming tense with some of the with some of the other children, um, something occurred to me that I never realized before, and that is that all of our children go through times where they're cranky. Every human being gets. Goes through cranky times, and as you know from your home, any time that you have a child who's coming in in a bad mood, cranky, frowning, it brings down the energy of the house. I realized at that moment that this one child, who's one who does act up a little bit more, misbehave a little bit more, disrupt a little bit more, you will very seldom find this child walking around frowning. It's an interesting thing. This child happens to be
1: a <laughs> sort of very,
0: very perky, overall a very perky child, which made me realize in second all the other children. When something is wrong, they express themselves by being cranky, by moping, by getting in a bad mood. That's not this child's way of doing it. This child does it by acting up. But you never see the you never see this child frowning or or or, or and it's just a different way. And to me, it, it, it made me focus more on the fact that, you know what, focus on the fact that this is a very cheerful child. Focus on that, and whenever the child is acting up, remind yourself about that point. And I think that that, for me, has certainly helped me learn how to be a little bit more patient. But I believe that the more that we learn how to isolate those things and focus on those things, the more that those things can create the overall picture of that child. So that's idea. Numbers. So I would four. say it's
1: almost two things. It's almost like one is is noticing just those good points, just focusing on the good, um, which was something that we also had spoken about in our marriage class. But the other thing is just thinking of the good and exaggerating that in our own minds and really building that up because of that, like you use the word, if he will manifest or she will manifest that.
0: There's a great quote that says, when you focus on problems, problems focus on you.
1: Yeah, very true.
0: So we don't want to focus on those things. We want to bring it out. We want to bring out that inner, find those inner sparks. Focus on them, and we'll bring those out. And that brings us now to idea number five. Let's do first a quick review. Idea number one is create the family pride, the family narrative. Idea number two, every child speaks a different language and learn the specific language of your child. Idea number three, the rule of the hashtag. Say it in six words or less. Idea number four is focus on the inner tzaddik, the inner righteous child that's inside. And finally, idea number five, and that is own the vibe of your house. What does that mean? So we have, again, going back to the Passover Haganah, to the four sons of the Seder. There's three beautiful words. That, we, that are written about what's called the the one who doesn't know how to ask. And that is, he doesn't know how to ask, she doesn't know how to ask, you open up the conversation. And what that's doing is shifting the responsibility of the child's asking, the child's feeling of safety, the child's feeling of comfort the child's level of joy, shifting that responsibility to the parent. You need to set the tone, you need to set the vibe within the house that the child feels safe and comfortable to be themselves, to ask those questions. All of our children have a bazillion things. That's a very high number. Most people can't count to that number, a bazillion and they have all of those things on their mind. Right? And how much they're going to be able to articulate it or feel comfortable articulating it to us is going to have to do with the vibe that we create in the home as being a relaxed, flexible, open place for them to be that. Because if our home is not, there is one very flexible, open, relaxed place. And that is. Google? With their friends? I said one, but there, there there are. And not often the places where they look for answers are the places that we want them to be looking for answers. We want our children to have the difficult conversations with us, but we have to ask ourselves whether we are creating that safe space, that open space, that flexible space, that vibe in which they can come forward and have those conversations and it's not only just about questions that they ask in conversations but always reading the overall vibe of the house and taking responsibility and saying what can i do to set the overall vibe the overall tone of the home
1: yeah so I would say music is a very powerful tool here that we should just talk about just very briefly. And that is that sometimes the most stressful times of day, like in the morning and, you know, supper time or getting ready, you know, for, for well, I would say supper time, getting ready for bed is really less hectic in our house. But um, sometimes in those very chaotic moments, it's nice to have the music set just to own the vibe, just to kind of create that just so that it doesn't feel super tense. I also think that embedded in this idea of owning the vibe, it's important to talk about the different times that we do create, you know, just space for the kids to talk. It's become like a like a tradition in our home, almost like schmoozing time, you know? <laughs> Even my little ones be like, we have tea and schmooze. Um, sometimes it's very late at night and I really don't, I want to say like, no. But there's something about that, like, hold it, they're holding that glass of tea and we're sitting down. And a lot of times, like, they're like, hmm, what are we going to schmooze about? And like, after a few minutes of them just talking about sometimes nonsense, it usually does lead to a very constructive conversation. It also gives me a real solid peek into their day, even more than the dinner table, I find. So it's owning the vibe in general of the house. And then it's also owning those vibes of where we can create those pockets of opportunity to be able to create that safe space for our children.
0: You know, even when when you're having a difficult conversation, so you could attack it, you know, head on let's sit down together, right? And then we can be nervous all day because we know we have to have a difficult conversation with the child. So now we sit for five hours. We're all nervous about it. We think about, okay, how are we going to say it? What's going to be our script? Da, da, da. And it's very, very tense. And then the child sits down with, with with both of his parents, both of her parents, and is like, okay, this is awkward. This means trouble. And we have to have that really awkward conversation. Become a master of diffusing all awkwardness. Any conversation that you can have with a little bit of of thought, sometimes it might need 10 minutes of buffering in the beginning. But if you strategically navigate how to have that conversation happen organically, you can Get into any discussion, and you can really say anything because if you've created sort of that cushion over there. So instead of having a formalized conversation, we need to speak to you about da da, da you know, mom and I, or right, we don't want those, con- we don't want that to be the vibe. We want to be the vibe that the child themselves has that space to, on their own, come to that conclusion, on their own, be able to see, oh, you know, my parents, they're in tune with this. So we want to create, again, that think about it a little bit how we can navigate things. You know, how can I, as a dad, how can I make certain conversations in my home not as taboo as they should be? Because, again, if I take the lead and say, you know what, this is an OK thing for us to discuss. This is an OK question to ask, you know. Uh, I'm struggling with this, so it's okay and I'm going to bring up this ta- this question at the table even if I'm not necessarily struggling with it. But I want the child to see, that you know what, Abba's asking the question, so I want to jump in on the conversation, you know, as well. And things like that, it's, that allows us to own the tone, to, to be able to, to own the vibe. And Tavara mentioned the music, the laughter... The smiles, all of these things create an environment in the home where the kids say, you know what? This is a place I want to be. This is a place that's fun. This is a place that's comfortable. This is a place where I'm not being judged. That's what we speak about when we talk about owning the vibe, which is idea number five. You set the vibe. So we have now five ideas.
1: Yeah, we have. Let's just quickly review them. We have family pride, which we're reminded about through the telling over the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. We have that every child speaks a different language. Be in tune with your child. Be in tune with the language that they are speaking and what they're really saying underneath their mere words. Number three, the rule of The hashtag, being able to come up with those quick slogans that transform a very deep and powerful idea in just a few words. We have number four, focusing on the inner tzaddik, focusing on the good that we see and not necessarily blowing up the bad, but focusing and exaggerating on the good traits that we see within our children. And finally, number five, owning the vibe in our home, recognizing the power that we set the tone. Yes, it's a responsibility. And yes, when we are not feeling at our best, our children do feel it. And yes, it's also okay to sometimes say, I'm having a day, you know. I and I'm sorry, but then tomorrow it's reset, and you start again, and we're human, and that's okay, but we do own the vibe. We need to own the vibe, and we need to try our very, very best to make it the most positive place, the most happy home that we possibly can. These are ideas that we have felt have massively transformed our home, our parenting, and we really hope that they have helped you. Um, if anybody would like to reach out at any point, we are here for open for any discussions, and we we thank you, and we once again thank Project Inspire for hosting this MindFlex series. And we will wish you all a wonderful night. And you guys rep-
0: were a great audience. We, we, we this was so much fun. We so appreciate it. And you can find us on any of the social media as well. And we look forward to dialogue together thank you again project inspire have a good night blessing from us to you that we should continue to raise the next generation and the children in our homes with love with positivity to foster constant growth and that this passover should be a time of redemption a time of celebration and a time of family connection amen have a wonderful night everybody Good night. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.